I'm Adam. And I'm Dalton. Welcome to another episode of Fly on the Wall's first ever summer season focused on the 2020 elections. Today, we're excited to welcome Mayor Alvin Brown to the podcast. Mayor Brown was elected in 2011 as Jacksonville's first Democratic mayor in more than 15 years. And through the end of his tenure in 2015, worked across the aisle and with the private sector to get things done. But before serving as mayor of Jacksonville, among other roles, he served in the Clinton administration in numerous capacities, including in the Department of Housing and Urban Development. But before we get started, make sure you follow us on social media at flyonthewallpod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Let's get started. Hi, Mayor Brown. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be with you today, Adam. So the first question that we have uh, for you today is about bipartisanship. Um, as mayor of Jacksonville, when you were elected in 2011 and served till 2015, you worked with a supermajority Republican city council. And I was curious, uh, what did that experience teach you about bipartisanship and working across the aisle? Well, sure. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I had an opportunity, I think, for me, my, my experience prior to becoming mayor has, has uh, uh, given me the experience uh, to how to be able to work with people, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your zip code. Um, and uh, I think, uh, as you said, majority Republican. And so when I ran for mayor, I said I wanted to create opportunity for all. I wanted, my theme was taking Jacksonville to the next level, uh, be you Democrat, Republican, independent, uh, you know, whatever you are, whatever your party affiliation, it didn't matter. The goal was to take the city to the next level. And that's what I focused on. I mean, and I think it's important. I think mayors have to work with everyone to improve the quality of life in the city. Uh, no one cares about uh, what party you belong to if they want the pothole fixed, they want it fixed. And so uh, that's a good aspiration to have. But in the reality, you know, there were some challenges working and I, and I work with everybody. I had a bipartisan administration, by the way. So looking at our politics from the local level, as you've seen it so often, what are one or two lessons that you think our federal government could learn from the effective local governments across our country? I think, you know, they can learn to have the ability to listen more, to listen to each other, to, you know, really uh, have the ability to listen to people, listen to their ideas, uh, knowing that you can't, you're not going to agree on everything. So listen and focus on those things and work on those things that you all agree about, with, that you all agree on, which is very important. I think that's the most important thing. Um, and I, I can say, as mayor, <clears throat> I'm very proud of. Uh, we had a, we had a uh, an administration that looked that looked like the city, uh, very diverse from all backgrounds. I had. You know, Democrats, Republicans, independent, uh, you know, libertarian and, uh, uh, you know, working with all of those key stakeholders. Uh, and we focused on issues that we all agreed upon to get done. And I think Congress can learn from that. Yeah. So building on that local perspective, but moving to current events, as the mayor of a local government, um, with a city council of the opposite party and with a state that had leaders of the opposite party. Um, I know you're not a mayor now, but what sorts of things 
or tools would you have at your disposal if you were if you were mayor and were responding to something like the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, I think, you know, clearly from my experience at the federal level working for during the Clinton administration and working, uh, for example, at HUD, we had major disasters uh, that we had to deal with. And I remember one, the Red River flood that hit North Dakota pretty hard. I think from my experience at the federal level and bringing all stakeholders together, federal, state, and city, prepared me for being mayor because we had some storms. Fast forward COVID-19, you know, that virus does not discriminate. It doesn't pick party or race. It really impacts everyone. So from my experience, the ability to work with uh, the national leaders who are experts on healthcare and provide uh, the science-based evidence on what would help solve the problem from COVID-19 to be spreading in, in, in my community. I think you listen to the experts and you have a lot of good people you surround yourself with and follow the guideline that the CDC laid out. I would really, really, that would have been my game plan. And I have a track record of doing that. Yeah. So you mentioned your work in the Clinton administration and you worked there in the housing and urban development uh, administration under Andrew Cuomo. Uh, he's been in the news a lot lately and we're interested on your perspective uh, about his communication strategies and kind of how he's been responding to the virus in New York and just the uh, TV appearances that he, he's had. What is your perspective on how he's being portrayed in the media and his approach to this virus? I think, I think Andrew uh, has set the model for governors to follow. Uh, his communication style, his ability to connect with uh, people. I mean, he served in, in, in federal government for eight years. And so he brings a tremendous amount of experience as governor. Uh, he's the only cabinet member for the Department of Housing and Urban Development that ran a homeless, uh, that worked on the homeless uh, problems in the state of New York and was very successful. And then he became, uh, then he came into the administration. So he's using his experience that he gained at the federal level, working it as governor. Um, and he kept politics out of it, dealing with it and handling it from New York. It was all about the facts, the science. Uh, it's about saving lives. Andrew made it simple. He communicated uh, in a way and brought together a good team that focused on New Yorkers. And because of his extraordinary leadership that he provided, to protect New Yorkers, but he also had the ability to reach out and work with uh, uh, President Trump and his administration on getting things done for New York. In addition to that, he was, he was smart enough to reach out to his colleagues and, made, and took a regional approach because his philosophy was, and still is today, that whatever impacts New York, is going to impact New Jersey. It's going to impact Connecticut. So he reached out to those other governors and they formed a partnership and they communicated with each other uh, about how they would go about really dealing with COVID-19, the pandemic in their states. Coupled with Andrew always had a good relationship with mayors. I mean, when he was at the HUD secretary, he worked with mayors 
from across the country when he was the assistant secretary of community uh, development. And so I think that the model that he has laid out with, with good data from the scientists made a big, big difference in the way he responded. He kept politics out and he really focused on uh, New York. And I think there's a lot to be said that if I were a governor today, I would be asking Andrew Cuomo, uh, can, you, can you send me your best practices? Because he's basically put these things in a binder. He put a book together, says, here's, here's, the, here's, the, uh, here's the way how you should address it. All states are different, but at the end of the day, they're fo- fighting something they cannot see. Uh, even the partnerships he, he uh, instituted and brought to the table during this whole process, working with uh, the, the best doctors and best advisors throughout the state, opening and closing by regions. So he took a very holistic approach on dealing with the coronavirus. And I think now, looking, looking forward, he was just in Savannah, Georgia, working with the mayor, helping that city. He's reached out to uh, other cities uh, to help out. Uh, even Mayor Bottoms in, in Atlanta reached out to uh, Governor Cuomo for help. So I think uh, clearly uh, Andrew, done a, he's done a phenomenal job, and I learned a lot from him when I was at HUD. Uh, I was the point person for him on disasters, and my nickname was Masters of Disaster, and we worked together, but we worked with all the federal agencies. It was a team effort. He understands that because he actually did it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so moving on to another uh, important current event. Um, as the first black mayor of a mostly white city, uh, what experiences did you have that you believe could help us understand the state of race relations in our country today? Well, I think um, as someone who grew up in the South, uh, I understand, you know, the value of making sure that you have the ability to respect everyone, no matter who you are, what zip code you live in, uh, just being able to uh, respect everybody and treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. And it's as we go through this season, I know as being the first black mayor, I had a lot of people that helped me become mayor uh, of this great city. I've reached out and I, you know, as I sit here, I'm thinking about the late Congressman John Lewis, who came to Jacksonville for me and campaigned for me to be the mayor of Jacksonville, supported me 100 percent. Jim Clyburn uh, is another person who came to Jacksonville, Emmanuel Cleaver, uh, you know, Mitch Landrieu uh, came in, President Clinton came in, Vice President Gore came in, had so many people from different backgrounds, Uh, good supporters, Antonio Vitagosa supported me when I was, when I was in office, you know, when I think about it, it was people from all over the country who uh, help make the difference, people from the clergy community, the faith-based community. So for me, 
it wasn't about me. It was about more of, you know, I did something that being the first, which is, which is significant, but also I don't want to be the last person. I don't want to be the last African-American. So my thing is I've learned a lot. I gained a lot of experience over the years. Um, and it was always about Jacksonville. Uh, I'm very blessed and humbled because I had, it was a village who made it happen for me. My pastor, who's 87, uh, was like my dad. He baptized me, married me off, named my two boys. Um, my mom is my role model because she raised five kids, worked two jobs, and instilled in me a sense of faith and hard work, uh, which laid a great foundation. Um, and uh, there were people along the way who invested in me. And one person who is Fran Kenny, she just passed away. She was 105. But I remember, Dalton, when I was uh, in college, I was working full-time at Winn-Dixie, 40, 50 hours a week, and I was going to the university. And, uh, you know, colleges, you got to pay in full, and I didn't have enough money, so I went and they wanted me to drop out. Controller said, you got it. You should take two years off and come back. I went to Fran Kenny, president of the university, put together a business plan. And I said, Fran, I don't want to drop out. I would be the first in my family to go to college. I want to be somebody. She said, well, Alvin, I didn't know you were working at Dixie. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm a certified meat cutter. Um, I can pay you in 60 days. And she said, you know what? I'm going to call a controller. You go downstairs. You don't owe us a dime. Now, think about that. Here's a lady who knew of me but really didn't know me. I wasn't well-connected. You know, she didn't know me for Adam. But what she saw was the potential in Alvin Brown. And because she knew my potential just by having a conversation and opened up that door, it gave me an opportunity to finish school without being in debt. That's my point of reference. And so when I became mayor, being the first, but I had a very diverse administration. I've worked with everyone. You can't Google my name and find one thing that I've ever said negatively about my friends on the other side, even though it wasn't that way for me. So I think having the humility and strength and know why you're there is so important. I just think as a man of faith, uh, I can say that um, I'm very proud of the work we did for the people of Jacksonville. Thank you, Mayor Ren. That was, I mean, an incredible story. And I mean, answered Dalton's question above and beyond. And I just have a follow-up question um, because we have seen a, wave of protest um, take place across the country, calling for a lot of specific reforms in many places, um, including um, defunding the police or ending qualified immunity. And in a lot of cities, there have been um, some more symbolic reforms, uh, renaming roads or painting um, murals. And I'm just curious, what are the political dynamics, as a former mayor, what are the political dynamics in trying to make real concrete substantive changes and what sorts of challenges exist there? Well, I think the key is, um, you know, making investments, 
you know, all that's good doing, you know, uh, you know, you got, you know, the NFL wants to play lift every sing, lift every voice and sing, which is uh, nice, but you got to make the investment in people. You got to, you know, close the opportunity gap in this country. And what I mean by the opportunity gap, you got to close the economic gap and make sure that no matter uh, where you live or who you are, you should be able to get a job and take care of your family. You got to close the education gap so it can be affordable. Uh, you know, we, you have to invest in distressed communities. Uh, it's, it's sad in the 21st century that we have food digits all around this country where people don't have access to fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables. So it's about closing the opportunity gap. It's about making sure that, uh, you know, you have 21st century policing in our communities. Um, all those things are relevant. And make sure that you have uh, your, your, your corporation, your, your institutions are very diverse and reflect uh, your community. And I think all those things are important because if you really think about it, like John Lewis has said, Congressman, the late Congressman John Lewis said, you know, your generation should, should get in some trouble to change America for the best, but he said good trouble. And so I think you got to fight for the hopeless. You got to give voice to the homeless. You got to make sure that at the end of the day, uh, that everyone is moving forward and not just some, that we are all in this together. Until we treat people like they're human beings and respect them for who they are, we will never reach that beloved community that Dr. King died for. Remember, he didn't die for a contract. He died campaigning and protesting with sanitation workers to make a living. And he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Fast forward today. In America, a human being can die by the hands of officers because of the color of his skin. That is unacceptable until we treat people the way we want to be treated and respect people for who they are. We will never reach that, that, that goal that so many died for. And I think that's important in this moment of the movement, we have to be true to the cause. If this country believes in liberty and opportunity for all, they have a chance now to really focus on telling the real history of this country. Real history. It should be. And you start off by putting it in the history books at elementary school, middle school, high school, and colleges and universities to know the real history of America. Uh, I think that's important. If you know the history, you won't repeat it and you would do something about it. And I think that's where we are as a country, is how do you make sure that, you know, we're moving forward and not, not just, you know, uh, giving words, but really focusing on deeds and improving the quality of life for everyone and not just for some. 
Yeah, so looking forward on this issue, um, earlier this year, Vice President Joe Biden's campaign indicated that they would be choosing a woman as his vice presidential candidate. Um, but in light of George Floyd's murder and following protests, uh, many have called on the vice president to choose a woman of color. Uh, what are your thoughts on this development? Well, he committed that he would uh, put a woman on a ticket. And I trust Joe Biden that he will keep his promise that he would put a woman on a ticket. And I also believe uh, that a man of, he's a man of great integrity and credibility. Uh, a man who, you know, at the end of the day, has laid out a clear vision for what this country should do. And, and I think he's, he's going to pick who would best suit that role as vice president. That's what I believe. Yeah, so that's uh, a great transition into the theme of our summer season, which is the 2020 election cycle, um, both federal and local races. And so I'm, I'm curious, uh, when you were elected mayor of Jacksonville, you were the city's first Democratic mayor in more than 15 years. Um, and there are a lot of first-time candidates this year. Um, what lessons can candidates running for office this year take from your, your successful candidacy? Well, I think Jamal Bowman uh, is a classic example uh, that, you know, while I only was given a 1%, 1% chance of winning, I don't know what his odds were, but you, I would say to any candidate, you know, uh, if you believe, if you have a vision and you believe and you have that passion and conviction, you should run. And... Um, and you should talk to everyone, reach out to everyone, um, you know, and, and when you really think about it, John Lewis was 23 years old, giving a speech on Washington. Think about that, how young he was. Um, nowadays, you don't have to wait, you know, do it now. If you want to run for office, you know, figure out what's in your heart and how can you make a difference in this world? You should do it. But I think given this is COVID-19, you got the pandemic going on, campaigning is a little differently. So how are you going to communicate to people? And I think that's the biggest challenge people have right now. How do you communicate? You, you work, you're running for city council, school board, state rep, governor, senator, president. It's all about getting on those social media platforms and communicating your message because uh, no one's going door to door right now. And that's the challenge. Now, when I ran, the recession was bad. And by the way, for context, in 2008, when President Obama won, he did not win Jacksonville. He, not, he didn't win Jacksonville in his re-election. He did not win this, this city, nor did Hillary. Just to give you context of how hard it is in this county. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so another question kind of related to that, uh, and just getting a little bit more into the specifics is what uh, obviously we're in you know unprecedented times in many ways, but what uh, is something that has surprised you the most about this election cycle? Something that's really really surprised you? Um, I think you know I wouldn't say surprise. I would say. Um, that there are a lot of people who are running for office that are out of touch. And there are a lot of people who are in office 
who are really stuck in the 20th century, which is kind of sad. That surprised me in the, in this moment of a movement. Is this really a movement? Uh, people are hunkering down on on you know on their party platform versus the people's platform. And what I mean by that is, people want health care. But you got one side saying, we want to kill the Affordable Care Act. That doesn't make sense to me. And so until we realize that health care should be a right, not a privilege, uh, we're going to always have problems. And to me, that's a surprise. Yeah, and I guess that sort of this disagreement on the major, major fundamental issues points to a larger disconnect among the American public. I know uh, Joe Biden, one of the themes of his campaign is restoring the soul of America. And that sort of, you know, has me thinking because there are some pretty stark divisions which are growing even bigger between uh, Americans of different parties. But you were a Democratic mayor and a largely in the city with a lot of Republicans. So, and you were able to unify the city. So after the election, what can whoever is elected president in November do to unify the country? I think they got to reach out to the other side and says now that politics, the presidential campaign is over with, the congressional race is over with, the Senate race is over with, the governor's race is over with, city council race is over with, school board, let's all work together. You reach across that aisle and say it's now time to govern and let's put people over profits people over politics and let's make a difference that's what you got to do that's so great to hear from you uh mayor brown thank you so much for joining us today and, and that's all we have for you well listen i really enjoyed uh, this and i wish uh you know you guys well stay safe um you know i you know, as I, I think I said to uh, Adam Dalton that, uh, you know, when I first got to D.C., I didn't know anybody. And uh, I lived on Fox Hall Road so I can walk to Georgetown and play a little ball in the neighborhood. And, um, and then just where I come from, uh, if anybody said to me that I would uh, graduate from college, uh, undergrad and grad, join a campaign in 91, win and be a part of the Clinton-Gore team, serving in different roles, come back home, uh, not only being mayor, but some of the jobs that I did, opportunities I had, becoming mayor, and then hanging out at Georgetown as a visiting fellow, I would have told them that they were living on a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> so we live in a, you know, I'm very thankful and blessed to have the opportunity uh, to do what I'm doing and talking to you guys, the next generation of global leaders.
Thanks so much to Mayor Brown for joining us for that insightful episode. Before you go, make sure you follow us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Or if you have any questions or comments, email us at Fly on the Wall Podcast at Kiva.com. Thanks and stay safe.